Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. Welcome to the chatter. Colleen, we've reached the milestone. Is it 100? This is 100. I'm trying to look at your paper from upside down. 100. We started uh, 100 episodes toge- uh, together, which would have been last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we did so. It. We've had most every weekend. Yeah. Our guest today is Father Jeffrey Fashing. We're going to talk to him about all sorts of things as soon as we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O O most gracious gracious Virgin Virgin Mary, that that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee thee I come, come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother mother of the Word incarnate, despise despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer answer me. me. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now our guest, Father Jeffrey Fashing, is, is really no stranger. He was in town in 2021 at our conference down at the Grand River Center. The one uh, with Father Altman, and we had a bunch of priests there. 700 people there. 700 people, a bunch of priests. What a, what a show. But um, I think more currently, mm-hmm. they're going to recognize this voice. Every Thursday afternoon at 5 o'clock with Jim Havens on The Simple Truth. Father, give us some hellos so that people can recognize your voice. Tom and Colleen, hello. It's so good to be with you. I'm smiling uh, just to hear your voices, and I appreciate all the work you do, and hello to all your listeners. So there it is. There it is. Now people will recognize his voice. They'll go, oh, I know that voice. You know, I thought you were just a guest of Jim Havens on uh, Thursday or a Friday or whatever when, when that started, and it's become a weekly anchor. You're, you're there every Thursday, Father. Tom, I met Jim, and he's, as you know, just a tremendous warrior for Mm -hmm. the cause of the true faith. And I met him at the Baltimore rally a couple years ago and made it a point. All the speakers at that rally were excellent. The content Mm -hmm. was excellent, and Mm -hmm. Jim's was excellent. But I wanted to make sure I told him, for example, it wasn't just the content, but the way he delivered it. It was bold, clear. Um, He was... uh, he just had a humble confidence about him. And it was about six months later, out of the blue, he just invited me on his show to just give my personal testimony. And then right after that, he just asked me to help him co-host. So I've been doing it for a little over a year, and I prepare the material. And mm. we just, you know, have a lot of the same content, I'm sure, that you do. So it's it's been great for me and I think for his listeners as well. So you're just one of those guests that wouldn't go home. <laughs> yeah. In a good yeah. way. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it was a good thing, you know. But, yeah, no, I'm sure it is. I, it's so I really enjoy it, and it, 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 it does a lot for me as well because it gives me a chance to continue to proclaim the truth and, you know, make sure that it's, it's getting out there as it should be as people are entitled to hear, you know. It's a rare commodity these days, Colleen, mm, the truth. The truth. And that's the name of the show, yeah. The Simple Truth. So that's uh, that's what we're yeah. all interested in is the truth. Now, um, and I've heard you often on Jim Haven's show, but let's give our listeners a little information on who you are, how you heard the call from God, kind of a, a sketch here of, of who you are. And I'll try to make it concise, yet not... I'm, I grew up in a military family, and uh, thank God 
parents are still alive. They're 89 years young. Mm. So every two, yeah, every two years growing up, we move. So, for example, I was born in Montana, the great state of Montana, moved to Maine, New Mexico. Again, every two years, transferred. Uh, he retired at Offutt Air Force Base in Bellevue, Nebraska, and mm -hmm. then we ended up in Wichita, which is the diocese I was ordained for in 1997, because he worked for Boeing, which mm -hmm. he did for 10 or 12 years, and then they retired when he was 55. So I learned a certain kind of disciplined life from just, I guess, watching my father and being in the military and playing sports, but as a young boy, I... I never served at Mass, hmm. which is one of the biggest reasons most young men become a priest, because they serve. That's, mm -hmm. that's a certainly a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. But we were very Catholic. Parents always were and always went to church. And I always went to, you know, back that day, they called it CCD, but Catholic religious education. Oh, yeah. And But, you know, I just this weekend returned from my, if you can believe this, 40th high school reading, 40 years. <laughs> and so I have so much... That is related to our our uh, conversation to talk about but my point is is in high school even in my young adult years it never occurred to me to study for the priesthood so that happened in my early 20s but um vocation story i mean i just was always playing sports and always had girlfriends and just always wanted to be married and have a family but in Wichita, Kansas, we moved there when I was starting eighth grade, and we were at the biggest parish, not just in the Catholic Diocese of Wichita, but in the uh, state, which is St. Francis of Assisi, right down the street from our house. And it was really, as I was considering a vocation and going to school off and on after having entered college and not going all the way through, because I had no idea what I wanted to do, even in my you know, early 20s, I just knew I wanted to get a degree. Mm -hmm. And so when I started looking at vocation and praying in that adoration chapel in that church at St. Francis of Assisi in my early 20s, um, and then I met a priest who was assigned there. And, you know, there's a lot to fill in the blank here. So uh, I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but it was the bottom line is the calling came from the prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And I mean exposed. And so Wichita Diocese is blessed like many, but it's flourished since the early 80s, this uh, perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So they have a good number of vocations, and the people there do support their priests. And so when I was looking at being married and what I wanted to do, I, I really didn't care about making money. I was taking business classes. It's like, this really isn't important to me. What is? And it was really the teachings of the Catholic Church or, or, or Catholic theology. I used to watch EWT, EWTN a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of times and just listen to the content on there and just, this is what I believe in, this is what I love. And so I considered teaching theology or studying theology, but it didn't seem, I don't want to say like that's not a noble cause, but enough, uh, if that makes sense. And then I just heard this calling in the chapel this clear invitation when i was considering getting married that you know not in, in words or anything but i want you to myself i need you you know for example to confect the eucharist bring me to the world and i knew pretty clearly i was going to priest be a priest but i had no idea what that involved what it meant what a priest did um, or what it would take to be a priest. And so I got to know a priest there at St. Francis of Assisi. And 
that's a pre pretty broad strokes of the story. But, you know, when I mentioned my reunion and I go back and talk to classmates from of old, and I'm talking, I graduated, I'm, I'm telling you my age, but most people don't think I'm this old. But from 40 years ago, and they... In fact, I was talking to my friend Janet. She said, we all knew in high school you were spiritual. And I said, really? I don't think I even knew that. So there's something they mm -hmm. saw in me. And so it was just my willingness to um, give back to God a gift he gave me to pray. And I just felt that call to do that in my early 20s. And it was through that prayer and this willingness to just listen to God that it seems like you know, a lot of people struggle with in our busy day-to-day -day, uh, world that's so mm -hmm. distracting. Uh, it was through prayer. I mean, the bottom line, it was honestly through prayer. And as a seminarian and a priest, and I probably would have left, left the priesthood a long time ago if it, if it wasn't that I was rooted in prayer and in the Holy Eucharist. And, and that's the uh, good God's mm -hmm. honest truth. Mm -hmm. You well, know, now were you so I feel blessed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask if your parents were supportive. Absolutely. And I was fortunate because I understand that many priests or young seminarians uh, parents aren't. But because they were Catholic, their parents were Catholic. Um, and, and not just with my decision, but and I, I actually talked to this with former classmates that anybody I brought home, you know, boy or girl somebody I played sports with, or just friends from school, they went out of their way. They were always nice, too. And so, yes, they were supportive. I even left the seminary one time, hmm. like many people did. They were supportive of that, hmm. you know. So there's always a discernment process. So mm -hmm. I was so fortunate because their stability. They've been married, what, since 1956. So they're hmm. well into their 60-some years of year of marriage. And so just that background... Not mm -hmm. everybody's fortunate to have, you know, to, to fall back on, to know, you know, that stability. Mm -hmm. So that's been a tremendous help. Mm -hmm. And it just goes unsaid in our family, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have siblings? I have two brothers and two sisters, and it's very difficult because, you know, we've all grown and we've gone our separate ways. And unfortunately, um, only one other one is practicing the good catholic wow, faith wow. so that's a daily thing that weighs on my heart mm -hmm. that i pray about and mm -hmm. try to sacrifice for because you know I, we do that show as you mentioned on spiritual warfare and i'm trying to get my soul to heaven and i certainly want my siblings and all of us to be there but it's just not guaranteed and if mm -hmm. you're away from the catholic church it's such a distant reality if it's even going to happen it's so scary so yes i I'm fourth out of five, Colleen. Okay. I have two brothers and two sisters. So two older sisters and an older and a younger brother. Okay. We just have talked before on the show about how many families have um, family members who no longer practice the faith. It's it's almost like how how can you doubt that we're in the middle of the great apostasy? Um, and, you know, you, I, yes. you mentioned how only one of your siblings is practicing the faith, and yet they all grew up in the same family with devout parents and it's just kind of surprising sometimes how dissimilar siblings can be um when it comes yes. when it comes to the faith but um but yeah i certainly certainly feel your pain and i know tom does too we all have family members who have left the faith but we're all trying sure. and sacrificing and for them to come back so then you were ordained yes, in 1997 
for the Diocese of Wichita. Yes. Okay, just out of curiosity. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just no. going to say out of curiosity, how many were in your ordination class? That year, that particular year, there were only two. And he happened to be a Vietnamese priest, and I think he's since affiliated with a different diocese because most of his family, I think, eventually came over. He was uh, over to the country, I think, in California. So that year there were only two, and because mm -hmm. of that, normally there are always um, like Memorial Weekend time, but mm -hmm. as you know, that's coming up on the Feast of Corpus Christi. We were able to move it back for the sake of his family getting there, so I actually was able to uh, offer my first mass on corpus christi and have a procession and wow so we had a small class that year yeah but there were two of us but wichita usually ordains quite a few men mm. uh, you know that's awesome that you got to celebrate your first mass on the feast of corpus christi when you are saying that your calling came from when you were sitting before the blessed sacrament so how appropriate is that it was, and I'll never forget it. You know, we were able to have a profession, uh, procession of the Blessed Sacrament. And, of course, at any ordination, most, if not all, of the priests of the diocese come for that ordination mm -hmm. because of the, the the grandeur of it. Mm -hmm. So, And then the first Mass, yeah, the, actually the first Mass that day, obviously, and then ordained the day before. Mm -hmm. so. so the Corpus Christi processions are something that typically are found among more traditional priests and parishes. Like, I never saw one until I was probably in my 40s. You're kidding. Um, no. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, so were you drawn to the traditional devotions, like the processions, things like that, your whole life? Or was there a point where you realized their importance and you were attracted more to the traditions? Just instinctively, I think. Like, I don't know that I knew the difference at that time. And, mm -hmm. and if you use the word traditional or conservative or liberal as, as a Catholic, um, I don't really like those quote-unquote labels because mm. if you say you're Catholic, you're not really traditional or conservative. You're Catholic or you're not. You either accept and embrace the faith on its terms as Christ gave it to us or you don't. But I think just as a, as a man at that time, you know, and as, as a newly ordained priest, but even before as a seminary, as a person, just those values are what I embraced. I don't, I suppose, being in a military family and, mm -hmm. and the discipline and the, the athleticism and the working and, you know, so I was just attracted without uh, really anybody introducing me to those things. So absolutely, in mm -hmm. answer to your question, it was because of that rootedness in the Blessed Sacrament that, mm -hmm. that God had called me to and given, given as a gift to me. And, and it actually is still in the Novus Ordo Mass, and, you know, it, it's absolutely appropriate. It's right there in the Ordo that, that a pr procession is to be done. It's just something neglected, you mm -hmm. know, that, that should be done. It's not just for traditionalists. It's, mm -hmm. If you're Catholic on Corpus Christi, you know, on that day you have a procession of the Blessed Sacrament because... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The church teaches us that our lives revolve around the Blessed Eucharist. Why in the world would we have any excuse not to 
do that at least that one time of the year. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that es- has always held true. Yeah, especially now that the bishops are uh, focusing on this, you know, um, Eucharistic revival and the focus on the Eucharist oh. over these couple years with the big culmination in, is it Indianapolis, Tom? Yeah, Indianapolis in next year. 2024. So, um, yes. yeah, you think that would be a natural thing that the, all the bishops would be saying to every pastor, we need to be doing Eucharistic processions. We need to be highlighting the importance of the Eucharist um, to our parishioners. But I really was in my 40s before I saw one. And, and that's amazing. And I, I was just in two, my last parishes were two rural parishes in southeast Kansas where the very first year I did one. And so these were people, a lot of farmers, but not everybody. But I did one that year, and I had people that grew up in those towns, just like you said, they never saw one Really? Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, you were talking about the Eucharistic revival, quote-unquote, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're spending millions and millions, $28 million. Okay, so Tom and Colleen, you know, we're talking about the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell the good bishops what to do, but... A Eucharistic revival revival comes with just exposing the Blessed Sacrament, kneeling down as a bishop or as a priest, and letting people see you genuinely praying before God's presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the mm-hmm. Holy Eucharist. But the reason that's not all the revival, there's no reason to, send, to spend $100, let alone $28 million. That's all it takes, but... How has it come to this? Because, mm-hmm. the, unfortunately, I think the bigger question, they Father, is don't have the sure, big, go ahead. The bigger question, Father, is is not why are we spending twenty eight million dollars, but why are we waiting three years from the point of saying we've got a problem? Why are we waiting three years to do something about it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're, sure. we're coming up on a break, Colleen. Yep, we'll let Father respond to that. Uh, Rhetoric. Well, it's more than rhetorical question mm-hmm. here. Yep. So we've got to we've got to take a break now to thank our sponsor, Hotworks, over on Holiday Drive, and um, we will be back for segment two with Father Jeffrey Fashing. We're back in the studios for the 100th episode. We made it. They said we'd never make it. Well, and sometimes I doubt it. <laughs> sometimes I re-listen and go, how did we ever make it to 100? 100 episodes, Colleen. I couldn't have done it without you. We couldn't have done it without And I just heard someone say to me yesterday, you know, I really like the chatter. They said, you guys make a good team. It's just fun to listen to. And yeah. I said, oh, good. I get that, too. They say, hey, it's Colleen and the other guy. No, they do not say that. <laughs> You're being humble. Our guest is Father Jeffrey Fashing, and uh, what a story. We're going we're gonna to pivot into uh, some contemporary stuff. We were talking about the Eucharistic Congress coming in Indianapolis in 2024, and yeah, it was planned three years ago, Colleen. Mm, yeah, the three-year plan for Eucharistic revival. So we were talking a little bit at the end of the last segment about Corpus Christi procession and some of the other traditional practices and devotions that um, that helped the lay people to foster um, 
devotion to the Eucharist, foster love of our Lord um, and and the Blessed Sacrament. So, um, and Father, you had mentioned as just being Catholic, those are the things we do, but we all know that it doesn't actually happen that way um, on the ground, mm. so to speak. So, as we're talking about the Eucharist and the importance of the Eucharist, um, I do want to pivot a little bit to the Synod because a lot of lay people are concerned about what might happen at the Synod that might... Um, Put Eucharistic devotion or other of our traditions, you know, in question. Or the wastebasket. Or the wastebasket. Yeah. So, have you been following all this stuff leading up to the synod? Well, Colleen, I haven't wanted to because it's <laughs> hard to take it seriously when mm-hmm. we consider how we we embraced. You know, we as people and Christians and followers of Christ have embraced the Catholic faith, and we try to embrace it fully. So. We know certain truths that have been taught infallibly, and I presume we'll get into those on this show, that don't change. So I've been forced to look at the Synod, but how can you take something serious when we have, you know, our good Holy Father who basically, you know, seems to be wanting to, I guess, rebel against God because what's going to happen in this Synod? I had to open up my eyes up and see that really these preparations for it that have started a couple years ago, I guess. Sure. Um, it's it's really pro, for example, LGBTQ, I mean, supporters of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do they want? What's going to come up? Um, maybe there's going to be this push or talk about abolishing celibacy, for example. Mm-hmm. There's going to be talk about uh, pushing ordination for women in the Catholic Church, especially mm-hmm. lesbian women, perhaps. Um, and we know that people like the good Cardinal Mueller has said, for example, you know, one thing he said was that the synodal path is doctrinally incompetent and actually canonically illegitimate, because I guess the point is, there's this effort to change the truth. I guess that's the bottom line, and and hopefully can, we can, can get can, into can the, maybe the truth is unchanged and it's unchangeable. How can this even be on the agenda, Father? How can it be on the agenda? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So mm-hmm. that's why I, when you asked, you know, have I followed it? Well, I've tried not to, but I, obviously we're forced to because mm-hmm. as the church militant, we have to stand up and proclaim the truth at all costs. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, isn't that the point? We we need to be. Um, yeah, we need to be vigilant. We're we're not here just to passively review what may or may not be on an an agenda. We we are called to be actively involved, and we are church militant. We are, and so one of the beauties is, as I try to remind myself and other people, because I can get very passionate, is in light of a synod or something or anything that opposes what we've embraced and know to be true. Um, you know, like our belief in the Eucharist or whether we can give the Eucharist, for example, to people who are publicly and obstinately in mortal sin. You know, the truth doesn't change. And I know, Tom and Colleen, you both know this. Um, the truth speaks for itself. The truth has a power in itself. So as long as we're calm, as long we, as we stay rooted that truth, the truth will always prevail no matter what because the truth that comes divinely from jesus christ so we have to i think it's good to make that point that we already know and then go from there that but we have to be able and willing to preserve that truth in the light of these kinds of things that push against Mm -hmm. it so Mm -hmm. it's a great topic and 
we have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we do. We have to acknowledge it's going on. Absolutely. And right now, our book club is reading Father Murray's book, Calming the Storm. And he's talking about a lot of these things, but... um, but one of the things that he suggests that people do is, if you see an abuse happen in your parish, contact the priest. And if that doesn't rectify it, then contact the bishop. But when it comes to this synod, it seems like it's so far removed um, that it's like, well, who who would we say something to Good um, if, we, if we are concerned about what we see happening? Um, we can't say anything to our pastor because he doesn't really have any power. Um, do we just talk to our bishop? Um, or maybe some of our bishops have been left out of the synod loop. You know, I think there's not, what is there, a handful of bishops from the United States that are involved right. with the synod, like Supich. He would probably be the closest geographically yeah. to right. us. Well, you know, Supich would not let them even process with the Blessed Sacrament through Chicago. He would not let right. them process with an exposed monstrance. Well, you put the Blessed Sacrament in a ciborium, you cover it, and then you go through the town. So Amazing. Isn't that amazing? So you just kind of wonder, what's a lay person to do? I, I don't know who we would have recourse to um, if we are concerned. So that's a great point, because the fact is that the invited laity or clergy are, in fact, predominantly, as lay supages and many cardinals and even bishops, unfortunately, pro LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And we have to be clear that we love our s- brothers and sisters who have same sex attractions. Mm-hmm. We're concerned with hating the sin, and the mm-hmm. church has always taught, you know, what the, it, she teaches on homosexuality. But they're, they have this pro it's okay agenda. So, yeah, what do we do? Because there actually are some good bishops out there. And I know you mm-hmm. two know one. And I know one for sure, and his mm-hmm. name is Bishop Strickland in Tyler, Texas. So <laughs> I have one very concrete thing we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've recently come across, and I think you're familiar with these, Tom. He's been writing some pastoral letters in conjunction with co- what's coming up with this synod. Just simply reiterate, it's kind of like priesthood or Catholicism 101. This is the truth. This is what has always been taught. This is what cannot change. And it's just what every single bishop should be doing, but mm-hmm. it seems like I only know of one. And so mm-hmm. he's written several letters over very recent times addressing the Eucharist, addressing same-sex marriages, addressing abortion, addressing contraception, all of these things. And mm-hmm. we just have to take it upon ourselves to remind ourselves, if we don't already know, what is the truth? Mm-hmm. That truth doesn't change. We have to follow the bishops as hard as it may be, or even the priests, and that's hard sometimes who mm-hmm. embrace the truth and aren't afraid to teach it mm-hmm. at all costs. Because mm-hmm. after all, that's why we became priests. Mm-hmm. Okay? Isn't, isn't that the ultimate charity, though, Father, is to uh, it is. care for uh, the other as other and wish that they would uh, attain the, the end for that which they were created, which is heaven. Mm-hmm. Salvation of souls. Uh, that is, right. yes, the very definition it goes to the heart of what charity is and sometimes unfortunately and especially with what we're faced with today both in our culture and our church charity means sometimes uh, a tough love and Mm -hmm. simply speaking the truth and for many people that stings because they're not living that truth but they need to hear it and sometimes they say or they react in a hostile manner 
and they leave and say because this priest said that or whatever. But the fact is, deep down, they want to hear it and they need to hear it. Why? Simply because it is the truth, mm-hmm. and they know it. But they've strayed, and they need they do need charity. They need priests and pastors that will be patient and just help them if they've strayed to get back to that truth. Because yeah, that's what we're about is followers of christ and the catholic faith we want other people to embrace it because it's a beautiful faith tom and colleen i mean i and so many other people and i'm not in their category but saints down through the ages martyrs young and old have given their lives for this beautiful faith they fought for it's the very same faith that we are practicing now that is under attack Mm -hmm. and we have to realize what a great gift it is but the reality is the people that are in charge of this faith are distorting it and they're actually mm-hmm. not teaching it and they're leading souls astray mm-hmm. that's what goes to the heart of the matter mm-hmm. i had a conversation on that point father in the last uh, month uh and and the the statement was made uh why is that why are people who are in charge with the deposit of faith the doctrine of the catholic church why are they letting it slip through their fingers like sand or water falling out of the palms of your hand. And he said to me, Tom, there are so many people that are invested in the demise and destruction of the Holy Roman Catholic faith that they're not, they're not going to let this opportunity pass. What say you about that? What do you see from your point of view on that investment? Absolutely our Catholic faith is under attack because... It, it it goes against this entire culture, and for not just centuries, not just decades, but for centuries, there's been this uh, rise, if you will, from the time of Karl Marx himself and socialism, which is really a word for communism, that mm-hmm. has been trying and trying not just to infiltrate our great country. And again, I mentioned I'm from a military family. I'm a patriot. I'm all for American exceptionalism. I still believe we live in the greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. Not only does is that under attack, but of course... In order to be successful, that as you mentioned, Tom, the church has to fall, even though she never will. But that's the effort that's being made. So it's because the church is is diametrically opposed to the culture, if you will. And mm-hmm. John Paul II, yeah. Saint John Paul II, he always called it the culture of death. It's a culture of death because it's all about me. And I can do whatever it is that takes to make me feel good, be it abortion or just sterile sexual unions, a sex on demand, whatever. Sure. As long as I'm not, quote unquote, hurting you. And that's what we're fighting against is just the beauty of the truth and Jesus Christ. So absolutely, how did it come to be that the, the leaders are not standing up for what this truth is? And that's such a great question. And I mean, there are so many things we could talk about and answer to that, but I think it all boils down to how we started the show is the Eucharist and a lack of really supernatural faith in the Holy Eucharist. And I can absolutely speak personally from myself and my own experience. I can't always speak for other priests and bishops. Sometimes I think I can because I've been through a lot and have experienced a lot from them and at their hands, but it all goes back to what the Eucharist is. You know, Colleen, you mentioned Blaise Supich. Who in his right mind as a priest or a bishop or a cardinal would ever for any reason suppress something like a Eucharistic procession or devotion to the Eucharist? Because that's the first and foremost reason why, if you did it for the right reasons, that you become a priest. is because of Jesus Christ 
and what he's given us in the Eucharist. Because mm -hmm. remember, as an ordained minister, as an ordained priest, of all the functions and things you're responsible for, and there are many responsibilities, but the first and foremost reason one is ordained a Catholic priest is to offer sacrifice, to confect the Eucharist, mm. without which there can't be yeah. a Catholic Church. So these guys obviously became, and I, Blaise Supich was my quote-unquote rector in theology for four years, and I... I mean, I wouldn't have known back then he was like he is now, but you have to question, you can't get into their minds, don't try to get into the minds of, for example, a person like him, because some of these bishops are actually evil, but it doesn't appear to be on, and I'm judging people by their actions, not by what they say, but sometimes, you know, a supernatural belief in the Holy Eucharist, how could somebody who truly believed what the Eucharist, that you and I to be know to be is the flesh body blood soul and divinity of jesus christ be willing to let people in adulterous unions forever receive him or to publicly hand him out to people publicly and obstinately living in mortal sin um, because it's scandalous to the flock and it just proves they're not really shepherds they're hirelings and so how did it come to this it's it the bottom line is it's a lack of of the true faith and so you have destroyers of the faith that have actually you know i guess I destroyers of the soul but and they're actually in our church they're actually in positions of leadership but then you can go all the way back to the time of christ and the scribes and the pharisees and they were pretty much the same way i think it's actually worse today i mean obviously we weren't there then but we know enough that it was pretty bad christ called them out i mean it's the same thing, but I would argue worse today than at the time of Christ. So it's nothing new. How does it come to this? I well, mean, it, it has to be worse you know, today by virtue of, in the time of Christ, mm -hmm. the scribes and Pharisees did not have the benefit of Christ. He was, he was new. We've, we today have sacred tradition of 2,000 years of magisterial teaching, Colleen, mm -hmm. and, and, and the Eucharist mm -hmm. uh, alive in our, in our tabernacles. Mm -hmm. uh, it, what did Christ say, Father? Uh, it, it will go easier on Sodom and Gomorrah or Tyre and Sidon than, than on this right. uh, generation. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and I know Colleen wants to jump in, and please forgive me, but yeah, just one thing real quick is, Yes, not only do we have that tradition, but we have count... I mean, if you don't believe Father Fashing, you know, sitting here saying this and you're hearing his voice, if you don't believe us, believe the witness of countless saints, men and women, priestly slates, religious, St. Catherine of Sinai, I mean, Mother Teresa, one of the most recent, that, that lived this example, this life, and it was all rooted in the Eucharist. Look at their example. They taught us by their example, not by writing out a doctrine or a pamphlet or, mm -hmm. or whatever. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what we have to focus on. Look mm -hmm. at that, if anything. Don't listen to me. Look at our communion of saints, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, all those examples of the saints, all the solid councils that have happened throughout the past 2,000 years of the church history. And even though the Internet can be a two-edged sword, we really can find out. We have technology at our fingertips to find out what does the church teach on this? And so we really are going to be held to account if we do not know our faith. You know, formation has been very weak in the past 60 years, and I don't even know if people know what it is uh, church teaching, but they can look it up. Almost everyone has accessed 
um, to a smartphone or to on the internet, and they can find out what has the church taught for two thousand years on topic X Y Z. So I think that's a yes. In most recent, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say I in think that's recently, a, one of our like, I, tools. Absolutely, and and most recently, like Tom alluded to it, and we were talking about Bishop Strickland. I think maybe the next segment too, but just go to Bishop Strickland's pastoral letters. He's just going back to the basics and reminding us what our faith absolutely is, which is what every bishop, in my opinion, should be doing, especially now. But he's one that I know for sure is doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe one answer that as a source as well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. We don't have to be theologians. I mean, how many illiterate people through it? through the centuries, were able to live their Catholic faith, be you know, become saints, even if they're not canonized, make it to heaven um, without having advanced degrees in theology. So they can do it. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so we are going to wrap up our second segment here. But before we go to the break, I just want to remind people that our next conference is coming up, our 10th anniversary celebration on November 2nd, at the Grand River Center, and we're having Dr. Ray Garendi. Um, Back by popular demand. That's right, and his topic is laughter, the sanity of the family, and boy, if if anybody could use some laughs right now, it's uh, it's Catholics who are serious about their faith. So um, anyway, you can get your tickets available um, at www.kcrd-fm.org. Um, bring all your friends. We want to fill that room with... Uh, to hear, have everybody here, Dr. Ray Gurundi. So we'll have to bring Father Fashing in. We will have to. So oh sure. So we're we'll be back after this break. You're listening to the Chatter on KCRD FM ninety eight point three. We're back in the studio, FM 98.3 KCRD, and on the mobile app everywhere with the uh, keyword KCRD on your smartphones. And we've got podcasts and, and all of that. we got to talk about Ray Garendi coming to town. This is going to be a huge night, 10, ten years on. Ten-year anniversary. That's wonderful. And um, Dr. Ray was here, I believe, right before the world ended and COVID hit. Correct. That, right? that was that would have been in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Before, in fact, he spoke that night. I think it was a Thursday too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, just as the the uh, evening wound down, we were at the Best Western mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Dodge Street. We were, yeah. And uh, the news began to trickle on cell phones. Things are not looking very good. Yeah. Of course, we didn't know what we were looking at. Well, not right. Nobody did. Yeah. But he he was our our guest here in Dubuque um, three and a half years ago. So now he's coming back, and he was a professional comedian. So I'm sure he's going to make all of us laugh, and everybody needs a big mm. laugh. And now we're kind of looking at this bellowing ox here. Yeah. It's got all the information on. It. Has it hit the homes yet? No, I just got them delivered. So we're recording on the 25th, but uh, we expect these to be out before month's end. This is just an awesome. What do you it's think? O- holy cow! How many pages is this? Well, we got thirty-two. Thirty-two pages. Wow! 30, it's no longer a, a um, newsletter. No. It's a magazine. It's a magazine, and Greg does such a nice job. So people will, can be looking for it in their mailboxes, hopefully within the next week. If you're not getting the bellowing ox, it might be because you're not on our subscriber list. So go to kcrd-fm.org and. Click on the button that says subscribe or just send us an email and we'll get you a subscription to it. 
We'll mail one out. We'd love it. Our guest is Father Jeffrey Fashing. Mm-hmm. What an engaging hour we've got going. Oh, we just have the best guests on this show. And so in our second segment, we were talking a little bit about the Synod and the Eucharist, and it was kind of sounding a little doom and gloom and hopeless. So I want to I need a it. hug, Father. I need a hug. <laughs> we all need a little signs of hope. So, Father, what do you have for us in, in the hope category? You know, I have to say, as a Catholic priest, this is such an easy question, and you might hear it all the time, but in these days, maybe you don't hear it all the time, but I think you need to hear our hope is, of course, Jesus Christ and the Holy Eucharist. So again, I mentioned my reunion. I actually have several classmates, Mm -hmm. um, male classmates, who became pastors, none of them Catholic, and of course, I presented myself in in my cassock at the dinner and you know, we had a tour of the school, but I talked to, and, and there are a few, I didn't go to a Catholic high school, but there are a few that were Catholic and have become Catholic since, and I could tell instinctively, I mean, look, please don't get me wrong, I'm not putting myself in the category of our Lord, but I try to follow him, and that I could tell... Well, you're supposed to be in to persona, you know, Christy. Absolutely, so... You know, that cassock makes a statement. I wear it not so much for myself, but for other people, and they've seen me in it before. But again, I'm just using it as an example of how how Christ, because, like, for example, his apostles, when he called them, they could see to a degree, I can't doubt, in his face, the the reality of the God-man. That's what drew them to him. He simply, they they left everything instantaneously and followed him. And I'm not not saying, I'm not, again, I'm not putting myself there. I'm just saying... We do act in the person of Christ, and if if we're genuine, if we're striving for holiness, people see that. My point is they were attracted to me because they knew I was a man of God trying to follow Jesus Christ, that I was a Catholic priest. And and that's our hope is not, it's just, it, it's our Lord and it's the Holy Eucharist. And, and if they were drawn to me, I know it's because, and it's a gift from God, it's not something that I'm, I'm trying to, um, I guess I'll, you know, brag about but to be rooted in the eucharist again if i wasn't rooted in the eucharist i would have left the priesthood a long time ago and especially how many times do you just feel like walking away when you hear about all this scandal in the church and mm-hmm. the hierarchy that's so mm-hmm. weak and and but you know again there's nowhere to go you know mm-hmm. so god puts us in this place in this time we have to remember when we talk calling about doom and gloom and what mm-hmm. do we do mm-hmm. make no doubt god put us you me priests and whatever they're at in this church at this time for a specific reason Mm -hmm. so when it seems to be getting so bad we have to remember that we're here for a purpose so we don't have to be priests we don't have to be religious if we're baptized and we're confirmed especially in the catholic faith we are by definition soldiers for christ so our hope colleen Mm -hmm. is in ourselves in realizing what we've been given by giving the by having been given the divine indwelling and confirmation we have God in our very being, and a God that says, do not be afraid of anything, do not be afraid of me and who I am as truth personified, and do not be afraid to lay down your life for me. So we have to rise up, mm-hmm. and we have to be willing, literally, if it comes to it, and it may very well, I firmly believe this in the near future, to giving our lives for this faith, we have to look to the martyrs. Mm-hmm who by the grace and strength of God were able to do so, to be willing to do so. That may be in other forms, but 
our hope can't be anywhere than first and foremost in the reality of who Christ is and what he's given us in the Holy Eucharist. And so we have to cling to that greatest gift. If God, in fact, could have given us anything greater than the Holy Eucharist, he would have done it. That's why it's such a travesty and a mystery and mind-boggling that we actually have quote-unquote cardinals and bishops in the hierarchy that blatantly disrespect and um, just treat the Eucharist with sacrilege. Mm -hmm. What what do you say, though, Father? I mean, I I get that. It's the source and summit. We've been hearing that mm -hmm. since the documents were released in the 60s and all of that. But today the mantra is, oh, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. What do you, what do you say? The classmates, the families, the uh, family, fr- uh, the friends. I don't. I don't. Yeah, you, you guys, you got you got too much stuff going on here. You Catholics, you got too much stuff going on. I'm spiritual. I got the spirit. Yeah, and absolutely, they are spiritual. But what they don't have, and if they if they're spiritual, you have to presume that they believe in uh, a Bible, something that Christ himself inspired men to write down, to put pen to paper, that leads us along, they might not believe in tradition, but leads us into truth. So if we can go with that presumption, we have to look to that and see how, what does being spiritual mean? Are you spiritual on your own terms? Are you spiritual like what's comfortable for you? Or are you striving to live a life based on the way Christ has invited you and, in fact, commanded you to live. And if we are, we can't ignore Scripture because those commandments are found in there. And one of those commandments, again, this is what they don't understand with respect to Catholicism and the Eucharist. The Eucharist actually is not an option. Christ commanded us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In fact, he said in John 6, and if you go to those verses 53 to 58, Mm-hmm. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you don't have any life in you. So you may be spiritual, but you don't have the life of grace that I otherwise offer you by literally consuming my flesh and blood. That's what he wants. So it's not an option. He didn't institute the Eucharist, suffer his passion, and before all that torture, institute the Eucharist just to say... You know, you can be spiritual, and if, if you want to receive my flesh and blood, it's okay. So I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to undergo this greatest humiliating torture that anybody known to man can go through for you to give you my flesh and blood so you can say, well, I, I don't really want that. I, I don't really want to do that because it's just not me. I'm commanding you to do it. So you can choose not to, but if you do, you don't have the life that I'm offering that you need actually to get to heaven. And again, we go back, this is scriptural. So unless you want to say, I don't believe in the Bible, well, okay, you've gone your own way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much you can do for people like that. But again, you have, to, you have to be compassionate. You have to be charitable. You don't want to drive them away. You have to, more than anything, and the saints will tell you this, show them by your example. So you have to exercise patience. And it's hard sometimes because people like me, we are raised in the faith. We're cradle Catholics, but... I have been given a gift of great faith, and it, it's seemingly easier for us because we believe it's a faith is infused. It's a theological virtue infused in our hearts by God, and not everybody has that for, for various reasons. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. But with respect to the Eucharist, yeah, 
people can say I'm spiritual, but the bottom line is, or I follow Christ, or I'm Christian, or I go to this church, and as long as I'm following Christ, I'm okay, I'm going to get to heaven. No. The fact is, the church has always taught infallibly for centuries, there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. And that truth has not changed, will not change, just because of Vatican II, just because you don't hear bishops and priests proclaiming that truth from the rooftops. But if, they tr if they're truly men of charity, and that is a true truth, which it is, they would be doing it every day because now more than ever it's needed. That truth, that you need the church to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. so and that's Christ gave us this beautiful beautiful Catholic faith, this Catholic faith, not Protestantism, not Lutheranism, not Buddhism, but the one true Catholic faith as the sole means of salvation, outside of which it's nearly impossible to get to heaven. And that's what we need to, in a charitable way, in a patient way, and again, sometimes it's hard, help them to see mm -hmm. that's our mission as confirmed Catholics. Mm -hmm. Father, you just said something that uh, I want to hit the rewind button on. And, and I'm, I wish I could remember, I should have written it down, Colleen. But you said something, the fact, just because you don't hear a priest or a bishop pronouncing the faith and telling the uh, truths of the magisterium and sacred tradition doesn't mean that it no longer exists. Now, I, I paraphrased what I think I heard you say. Did, am I yes, paraphrasing you yeah. fairly accurately? Can you go deeper on Absolutely. that for a moment? Well, again... It, when you say deep, I always think about the Eucharist because it's the most deepest reality we can absorb ourselves in. So it all goes back to faith. Every question it seems like we bring up, Tom or Colleen, um, it all goes back to faith and whether or not we have it or we've been trying to exercise it because it's just a lack of faith. If they're not saying it, it's because, and I do know this firsthand, um, by brother priests who have bishops, it's a lack of supernatural faith. So when we were talking about in the first segment about the uh, Eucharistic revival and all that we need to do is right. kneel down, expose the blessed sacrament, and and show people our faith that God has given us with with humility, but with joy because they are incapable of doing it because they don't have it. How can you hand on something, Tom, that you yourself don't have? Mm -hmm. They don't believe in what the Eucharist is, or if they do, they don't take it seriously and. I I don't think I have to say that. I mean their actions speak volumes. So I don't it's hard to argue with what I just stated, right? Because that's the, the old Latin axiom, on. the old Latin axiom, you cannot hand on that which you do not have. Mhm. Mm and I Absolutely. think, you know, unfortunately that affects the entire uh pa parish if it's a pastor or the entire diocese if it's a bishop because people can look at their leader and if they don't see the faith then if that guy doesn't believe then why should i believe i think it's a trickle down thing so when we have pastors yeah. or bishops that show by their actions that they doubt or they you know don't have the faith or they are so cavalier with the eucharist then it's hard for the average layperson to to believe but what you were saying earlier about the catholic faith being the one true faith uh founded by christ as a way to you know without the catholic faith get to heaven um that's one of those things that i was mentioning thinking of when we were talking about we need to look up in the internet what has the church always taught and you're right the church has always taught that the catholic church is the only way of salvation 
Um, and so we're going to hear all sorts of things in the next month or, or more. We have to know the truth about our faith. And be- it feels like there's a storm going on. And if we get too yes. caught up in that wave or, or that lightning strike, we are just going to sink like Peter did. We have to keep our eyes on Christ and his unchanging truth that has been passed on to us for 2,000 years and just be steadfast in not letting go of that rock. And to not be afraid. And sometimes that's hard, but God didn't give us the sacraments of baptism and confirmation to be afraid. He gave them to us so we would be not afraid and we would be warriors. Mm-hmm. And and we are afraid and we're weak, but St. Paul reminds us we're always strong in Christ. As long and we might fail or stumble or backslide, as long as we're striving to be rooted in his reality of who he is and what he's given us in the Eucharist, there's a reason he gave us the Eucharist and the sacraments, because we need them not just to be able to battle the culture, but to sustain ourselves in that mm-hmm. faith. So people fall away or they lose it, or we have siblings that are have lost it because they don't put it into practice. They might believe, but God can take away something he gives us if we don't practice it. And I presume, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're both parents. Yes. You both have children, right? Tom so, does. Well, Colleen's got 60 of them at okay. the maternity home. Yeah. She's way be, okay, way beyond so, me. But if we're trying to teach, okay, if we're a parent or if we're a teacher in a classroom, you can we can preach as priests to we're blue in the face, but if especially for parents, we can tell our children this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to do. They are going to do what they see you do. So if you want your children to learn to pray, you can give them a book and say learn these prayers. You can give them a catechism, and that's something valuable in that. But unless they see you doing it and living it, they're not going to do it. They learn by what you do. So in other words, we preach with what we do. That's what we have to remember as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Father, we're, mean, we're, we're coming up on the end of yeah. the uh, uh, show. we got we got about 60 seconds before we go through the end. Sure. Can you, I, I have a thought here. Uh, you mentioned St. Paul, and in one of his letters, I'm horrible at remembering which one, but he said some of you are, uh, you know, we need to, Colleen, I'm paraphrasing. Keep our eyes on Christ. Some of us are saying, "I'm I'm a disciple of Paul, or I'm a disciple of Apollos, and or, or I'm a disciple of of Simon, or whatever." Are, are we at that point here, where going into the synod as Catholics, we're going to be splintered and fragmented, as Saint Paul said, and and we're going to have people that say, "I'm." I'm uh, I'm a disciple of Athanasius. I'm a disciple of of Strickland. Uh, Strickland. I'm a, I'm a distri- of uh, Francis, and and that kind of thing. And what say you about that? You got thirty seconds, Father. Again, the truth. No, take it upon yourself to learn the truth. We've given a concrete example in this show, Bishop Strickland, who's putting out as we speak pastoral letters. Go to a Baltimore catechism. Go to the Council of Trent. Remember Saint Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, if we or an angel from heaven should preach Mm -hmm. a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, he is cursed. So you owe it to yourself, and you can do it. The resources are there. Mm -hmm. Learn the true faith. Live it. And the one thing, we always love to mention Our Lady. So before we end the show, um, we talked about the importance of the Eucharist. And we, um, I remember... John Bosco's dream of the two pillars that we have to attach to the one pillar of the Eucharist and the other pillar of Our Lady. And we are on the cusp of the month of October with some wonderful Marian feasts 
um, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of the Rosary. Um, and so if people are not praying the Rosary every day right now, please start praying the Rosary. And it, um, if you're not going to adoration, please start going to adoration. But tie your boat to the pillar with the Eucharist on the top and the pillar with Our Lady on the top. And we will be safe from the storm. Wow. What do you think of that, Father? Absolutely. Unbelievable. Pray if you can fast. Pray the rosary above all and just be willing to sacrifice. It's, Absolutely. It's the month of the rosary. Father, we could go on and on and on, but we are out of time on the 100th episode of The Chatter. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. God bless you both. And uh, Colleen, invite everybody over to, for dinner. That's right. Get your tickets now, kcrd-fm.org, to sign up and come listen to Dr. Ray Garendi on November 2nd at the Grand River Center. Um, we can't wait to see you there. Yeah. Father, I usually end the show with a uh, prayer, but I usually don't have a priest on the show. So would you end our chatter, please? Absolutely. The Lord be with you and, and with, with your, your spirit. spirit and with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. That's Thank you. Very kind of you. Our guest is Father Jeffrey Fashing. It's the 100th episode of The Chatter. Tune in again next week. We love you. <laughs>